Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan. In my conversation with Misty Giordano, after talking about Toyota 4Runners and SUVs, I asked Misty, what has your attention? And she responded, uncertainty, loud noises, highly sensitive people, which make up about 20% of our population. With a corporate background in HR, she saw that HR professionals were presenting to their employees fluffy baseline programs and not a more robust well-being strategy wanted and needed by today's workforce. So she created Love Your Life with Misty as a consultant for those companies. She is the author of Self-Care Survival Guide for Employees. I now bring you Misty Giordano. Yeah, so what has my attention right now, I believe, is most people's uncertainty. Um, it's the very unstable environments that we live in, um, both external but also internal. So so I consider myself, I am a highly sensitive. So we occupy about 20% of the population, which most people, if they're highly sensitive, they don't actually know that they're highly sensitive. Um, The way that I've come to understand it, because it's something I've come to in the last few years, which has unfortunately made a lot of sense with a lot of things that happened to me, but um, highly sensitives feel the world differently. So what might not bother certain people like noises or energy or different things, it actually really impacts us. We have a very sensitive nervous system. You know, and it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like because we've gotten so technologically advanced and so tech heavy because of the pandemic, We've forgotten how to kind of engage with each other just on a normal everyday basis, like going out and going for a walk and not having your earbuds in and not having your face buried in your phone, um, but actually being able to look at people in the eye and smile. Have a great day. Good morning. It's become more apparent and and more so in, in relation to what I do and how I do it within like the corporate structure and corporate workplace and business. So I focus more on like well-being, but from a proactive self-care, like taking more personal responsibility for your own well-being to be able to then ask for it in the workplace or create your life around what it is that you you actually really need because you're spending that time with yourself. And so being here, I guess my, my whole point of bringing in all the, you know, the disconnection, all that, all the, all these things is that we don't live in a world that actually fosters spending time with yourself. Um, We saw that during pandemic time, right? We were forced to spend time with ourselves. We were forced to be internal. Um, I didn't mind because I love my solitude time, but most people don't and they don't know how to because they've never actually practiced it. Hey, Misty Giordano. I have fun with your last name. Welcome to what has my attention. Welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, too. We've had some great, we've had one great conversation, or maybe it was two, because we met at Mary Kravitz, um, watchusthrive.com. And that's like, a really, if you really want to uh, get involved in some really high quality networking, spend some time on Mary's twice a month event that she does. It's been really good for me. Starting right at the top, I want to let everybody know you can find out more about Misty at loveyourlifewithmisty.com. And I am going to first ask you about loving your life with Misty. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to explain that. I I, kind of want to hear, I always like to, how did you come up with that? And what is, yeah. Sorry. I, I love, I love that question because it has such 
a silly answer to it because it literally just sort of happened. So I appreciate you for starting our our time together off with that because it's it's a little, it's not a little embarrassing, but it's a little bit of one of those like, it just kind of happened stories. So I um, tell you how much I knew about business when I first started. Uh, I was working with my accountant and he was setting all the, you know, the legality things up for having an LLC and all these things. And it never crossed my mind that I actually needed a name. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I have my name and I just I assumed it would be my name. He's like, well, you know, it would probably be better to have like a business name if you want. I was like, all right. So I remember sitting in my truck going, OK, well, what would I want my business name to be? And I'm like, well, I would really love to help people love their life. So we're just going to go with that. And that's how it was born. It was just so like, well, it was this. So let's go with that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sitting in your truck. What kind of truck was it? I know that's like, why, why does he ask that question? It's just, I'm curious. No, it's, it's okay. So it, technically it's an SUV. I say truck just because it's not a car. Um, but that her name is Phoebe. Um, she's a 13 year old Toyota 4Runner who has been Love through. It. Yes, she has Thir been through What year is 13 years? I don't want to. An know, 08. I had an 07. Okay. Honest to God, great truck. A Toyota? Yeah, the Forerunners. Yeah, you know, my brother actually was telling me he had a Toyota truck way back when, and he's like, that, that thing, if I didn't get rid of it, it probably would have lasted another 10 years. I mean, she's running on 260,000 miles, yep. and she's <laughs> she's never given me a problem. The only yep. issue she's ever had has been um, operator-induced, we'll say. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> we've, yeah. Gone on, we've gone on some adventures together, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I had a 1982 Toyota 4x4 with what's called a straight axle in the front. Okay. And what that means is it's kind of like military in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I could go anywhere. And at the time I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, like I lived there most of my adult life, 24 years. Yeah. And so I would throw my dog, Mal uh, Maggie, who was half Malamute and half Coyote, into the back of my truck with a sleeping bag, a tent, a box of food. And we would just like take off and I would hit to the top of Mason's, you know, just rang, 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 rang to the top of Mason's. There was just like no place we couldn't go. I really, really loved it. Yeah. SUVs are kind of the way to go, at least for me. I always I always joke with everybody. I'm like, I need I need enough room for myself, my dog, the groceries and whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. You're in Chicago. Is that right? I am. So where do you actually have um, someplace close to Chicago to hit the hit the uh, mountains? Uh, no, we actually have no mountains here in Chicago, although there are some like, you know, hills and different things. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, you know, um, so long story short, my my dog actually is almost 13 and he has metastatic cancer. So our we're kind of homebound um, for, oh, yeah. you know, how, no, sorry. it's he's doing really, really well. Um, we do a lot of integrative therapies and a lot of integrative medicine. He's on raw food. He's on um, herbal chemotherapy and he sees an integrative doctor. He's doing really well. He's actually, That's great. Um, yeah, he's doing well. But uh, back to your original question before I start talking about my dog, like I normally do. Um, <laughs> there's not really a whole lot of like adventure places. The Midwest isn't yeah. really known for all that. I mean, we could go to Michigan or Wisconsin, but um, it hasn't just been on the docket, maybe in the fall or the winter. Yeah, nice. All right. So guess what? The name of this uh, show is called What Has My Attention. So the question I want to ask you, for everything you do for your clients or yourself in the middle of a pandemic, what has your attention? Oh, yeah. So what has my attention right now, I believe, is most people's uncertainty. Um, it's the very unstable environments that we live in. Um, 
both external but also internal. Um, I live in Chicago. Obviously, we already talked about that, but I live uh, more downtown where there's a lot of people who are very externally motivated, we'll say. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's, so it's a very interesting place for someone like me to live because are you familiar with highly sensitive people? Sure. Okay. So, so I consider myself, I am a highly sensitive. So we occupy about 20% of the population, which most people, if they're highly sensitive, they don't actually know that they're highly sensitive. So and why so, don't you, why don't you tell us what, how you define highly sensitive? Yes. Highly sensitive. Um, the way that I've come to understand it, because it's something I've come to in the last few years, which has unfortunately made a lot of sense with a lot of things that happened to me, but um, highly sensitives feel the world differently. So what might not bother certain people like noises or energy or different things, it actually really impacts us. We have a very sensitive nervous system. So you're and talking so about humming transformers on, on poles and stuff like that? That, or even when you're trying to have quiet time and you have the dryer going in the background, it's like kind of jarring to your system a little bit, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, loud noises, ambulances, motorcycles, like things that are very loud, very jarring that might mm -hmm. not, um, like, might not blue an like blue angels. Yes. Like, well, you know what? It's so funny that you say that. Okay. So I, I told John before we started the podcast, but the Chicago air and water show actually got canceled this year, but they are doing like a blue angels thing. Um, well, they're practicing today, of course, during the time that we are we are doing this podcast. I want to hear one. I Well, it was so scary because I didn't, I'm not used to having, you know, that kind of noise coming, feeling like a, it's shaking the building. And so I, uh, it, I heard it when I was in the shower and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what's going on? Like, is the building going to collapse? Like what's happening? And then I realized, of course, they're practicing. And because I live, you know, semi sort of close to the lake, they're, they're circling and doing all the things. So if you hear a loud swoosh and things start to shake, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I kind of like things like that. I, you know, we were talking about sensitive people and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm pretty outgoing. I love people and, you know, stuff, but I spend a lot of time here and two monitors and a mixer and a bunch of stuff. But every once in a while, I'll uh, hit head to Starbucks. And now we're at least where I live, they're actually letting people in with masks to sit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before that, you had to sit outside. But um, I just love to be around people and the buzz of the of people. So, is are you sensitive to that? I am actually. Oh, I have okay. a very yeah. I have a very limited capacity for the amount of time that I can be like in crowds or like with people. And a lot of times when I am, I have to be in like my little cocoon, my little home sanctuary where I can just be and not have to engage with anybody. I don't have, there's no, mm -hmm. I live by myself with my dog. So it's just, you know, our energy together, but I don't necessarily have to engage or talk or be, or, you know, do anything. I can just sort of refuel mm -hmm. and being that kind of person in a place like Chicago has been a really interesting thing because I moved here during COVID. And so mm -hmm. everybody thought I was absolutely nuts. They're like, why would you move to Chicago during COVID? I'm like, you don't understand. I had the city to myself. <laughs> like I could walk outside yeah. my building and look up and down the street and not see a soul. Granted, it was a little creepy, but it was pretty fantastic because I wanted to come and explore and enjoy and do all these things without feeling all the people. Um, the people are kind of my least favorite part of the city, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Um, but it, it was really, really interesting. And then when things started opening back up, um, I start, you know, more people started coming out and I started to see what city life was all about. 
wasn't really all that impressed with what I was seeing. Um, but it, it gave me a really interesting perspective on how people choose to use their time and like what they thrive in and what they value and what they, you know, how they engage with each other or not, um, which is, is, is an interesting, is an interesting way to look at things. Um, and so what I, it, but for me being in a, high, a highly sensitive, I could usually always feel into the energy of what's going on around me. Like if everybody's in a good mood, I feel it. If everybody's in like a very uncertain mood, I feel it. Um, I, all I have to do is walk out the door and start engaging with people. And I, I could just feel what's going on underneath um, how they're presenting, like not necessarily their thoughts or anything, but just how they how they're feeling about certain things. Um, so it's a really interesting, interesting thing. And the biggest thing that I'm learning is that everybody feels so uneasy and so uncertain because we live in uncertain times, but we always live in uncertain times. But I think yeah. it's just very much more apparent now because of COVID and everything that's going on. Oh, hey, Blue Angels, do you hear him? Yeah, that was quick. Yeah. Um, blue angel break. So, but yeah, that's, you know, and it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like because we've gotten so technologically advanced and so tech heavy because of the pandemic, we've forgotten how to kind of engage with each other just exactly. on a normal everyday basis, like going out and going for a walk and not having your earbuds in and not having your face buried in your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually being able to look at people in the eye and smile, have a great day. Good morning. Um, it's, but you know, if I may point out that was happening with earbuds and, you know, cell phones in your face and all that was happening before pandemic time. Mm -hmm. So we're, you know, that's, it, you know, it's my thing, you know, it has to do with the social media. And uh, people are really pretty disconnected from the world in many, many different ways. Completely. So, yeah. So in the context of what has your attention, so you're really noticing more of this? It's become more apparent and and more so in, in relation to what I do and how I do it within like the corporate structure and corporate workplace and business. Yeah, I want to um, hear about this. Yeah, yeah. It's So I focus more on like well-being, but from a proactive self-care, like taking more personal responsibility for your own well-being to be able to then ask for it in the workplace or create your life around what it is that you, you actually really need because you're spending that time with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so being here, I guess my, my whole point of bringing in all the you know the disconnection all that all the all these things is that we don't live in a world that actually fosters spending time with yourself um we saw that during pandemic time right we were forced to spend time with ourselves we were forced to be internal um i didn't mind because i love my solitude time but most people don't and they don't know how to because they've never actually practiced it right we're, we're, well it, it you know um i appreciate what you're saying and i think part of the thing is is people don't really know themselves Exactly. So I went through an exercise, I don't know, three years ago, where I was working with an organization called Tiny Climate Challenge, and it's a podcast, and she's still inconsistently podcasting, but it was really good. So I took the challenge. So she brings in an expert who talked about the problem with um, carbon and gasoline and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then she brings in um, um, somebody that accepts the challenge. So I took the challenge to reduce my driving from 12,000 miles a year down to five. So what it did is it cut into my social time, cut into a whole lot of stuff. But what was really great is, is that, you know, it's like I got to go grocery shopping. I got to do this. I got to make these errands. I would combine them like once a week. Okay. And yeah, my social life did suffer, but I found myself going, Hey, it's just me. Here I am. It's like on the weekends, what do you want to do today? Mm 
And I would start having these conversations with myself to get to know myself. And back to people being uncomfortable with solitude is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. What do you have? To, and it's like you just got real quiet, which is very nice. But uh, no, I was just th- listening to you. What are your thoughts about it? So you're comfortable with solitude, being um, quiet, being solitude and just being with your dog, right? I am, but I feel like it's, it's a practice, right? Everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we, I I think I'm kind of pointing out the obvious that we live in a very quick fix culture, right? We always want what's the fastest, what's the cheapest, what's, you know, what can we, you know, throw the least amount of money and get the biggest results. Um, But the real problem is that there's no quick fixes to like self-love and self-care and and like real health and helping your body and, you know, spending time by yourself and really enjoying your life as it is without having to have all the distractions and all the things and, you know, stuff. If you can just get yourself to a place over the course of time where you can literally just sit and like look out the window and be completely happy. I think that's success. Like, I think that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. That's great. I don't think people are really comfortable with that. So how do you, do you work mostly in the corporate world or individual or both? And if you're in the corporate world, I'm sort of curious how you approach them. Are you going to HR directors? And yeah, tell me how that works. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, Corporate world is an interesting breed all in itself. Uh, So my background is in HR. So I I worked in a corporate environment for about 10 years and I started building Mm -hmm. my business um, in different capacities on the side, the last four of it. And so kind of a a small snippet of of sort of what happened and how everything kind of came together was that I started to get sick. Um, I, I dealt with, you know, corporate burnout and um, autoimmune issues. And, you know, there was a divorce and there was loss and there was all these things that happened in a very short amount of time. And I lived, um, you know, my mom was amazing, but she, she was, she was someone who worked two, three jobs and she ran her body down. And so, you know, talk about generational patterns and family patterns and, you know, kind of replicating what you see growing up. Um, I wasn't taking the best care of my body. I didn't know how to, she didn't really know how to. Um, And so I had to learn, like I I had a very real um, crossroads, right? I could either do what I had been doing and kind of go down the same road my mom was going down, or um, I could do something different. And so I kind of did just like I, I'm a little bit of a rebel, whatever everybody else is doing, I tend to do the opposite. Um, and so I actually went to health coaching school. I started learning about, you know, food as medicine. I started learning about um, lifestyle and self-care and like all these different holistic sort of, at, especially at that time, very like wooey concepts um, about all of these things. And I started applying and it was all like, it was all nervous system stuff that I noticed. It was all, yes, it was very much food and, and you know, what you were putting into your body and all these different things. But it was also... How are you taking care of yourself on a daily basis? How are you taking time for yourself? How are you settling your nervous system? And this was before I realized I was a highly sensitive, so that I needed even more of that. Um, and so I started learning how to do that stuff. And over the course of time, granted, this took like seven years, uh, my body started to heal itself. And it started to um, kind of bounce back from all this stuff that, unfortunately, I realized over, the, you know, a lot of it was self-inflicted, right? We don't know, like when we're putting food into our bodies, how it's interacting with us and we're paying attention. Um, and that compounds over time, lifestyle, stress, you know, jobs yep. that don't serve us, all these things, it compounds, right. And it, it, our bodies start to scream at certain, at a certain point that causes us to 
try to course correct. And so, mm. you know, going through all of this myself, I saw this really beautiful piece that is missing that was missing in the corporate environments and in business in general was that, you know, as HR professionals and other professionals in the workforce, we tend to bring in trainings that are very fluffy. <laughs> we tend to bring in trainings that are drink water, eat the broccoli, go for a walk, don't smoke, you know, very baseline basic things, which is that they've heard over and over and when you start with that, they just kind of tune out, don't they? They do because they realize that their employer actually doesn't really care about them because mm -hmm. what they're actually doing, the core, the, and I'm calling them out, but it's it's a conversation that I've had over and over again because people are so frustrated by it. Mm -hmm. um, what's actually happening is they're just looking to check a box. They're looking to say, we've done this for our, our employees. They're looking to do the bare minimum that they're doing to squeak by mm -hmm. um, and to not get in trouble. And so, um, you know, unfortunately that's the majority of businesses. And now because of pandemic, there's been more of a, uh, a focus on mental health and all these different, you know, aspects, diversity and inclusion and, um, and also retention and culture and morale. And so there's this whole pot of issues that are now being brought to the surface that it says, Hey, we need to have real change here and we need to figure something else out because this isn't working anymore. <laughs> and so they're starting to um, branch out a little bit. I've been seeing people have a little bit more of a robust well-being strategy. Mm -hmm. However, because of budgets, because of different things that are going on in the business environments, because, you know, everything is still very uncertain. A lot of companies are still choosing to either not do that or still do the bare minimum. Um, and so they're just they're not ready for something a little bit more deep and a little bit more change that happens over the course of the long haul versus just a one-time cookie cutter training. Mm -hmm. It's really easy for me to imagine that the employees are going, we want more of this. Mm -hmm. And and is it a sense that in these corporate environments that actually HR people are actually listening to what the needs and wants of the employees are? You know, I feel like what happens most of the time in businesses and corporate environments is you have the leaders, you have the C-suites that are trying to make all the decisions and they're trying to do what's in the best interest of everyone in the company. Mm. But a lot of times what they're not doing is they're not asking their people what they want. Right. If they're not asking their people what they want or if they are, a lot of times they're not listening and doing what needs to be done to change. And so this is creating this ripple effect within the, you know, everybody's leaving their jobs and they're leaving the culture and they're, you know, they're leaving all these things because they realize they're not being heard. They're not being seen. They're not being considered in the way that they actually need. And so this is part of the well-being piece is feeling that psychological safety, feeling, you know, feeling like you can trust people, feeling like you can have an open space to be able to tell them what it is that you'd like, what it is that you need and have it be not only just heard and, and listened to, but acted on. And so, you know, yes, absolutely. Are, you know, have I gotten rave reviews about everything that I do? Yes, absolutely. But the issue comes down to budget. You know, if I did what I did for free or for very low cost, I would be busier than I know what to do with. But so bringing, you know, having the investment in someone to come in and say, we really need help here and we need you that's that's a hard thing to do for a lot of companies because they're looking at the bottom line. They're looking at the cost. They're not looking at what it could save them or make them, you know, going forward because your 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 employees are your biggest asset. Yeah, and it yeah exactly. So the investment actually is in the people, mm -hmm. and it's like it's been pretty void in corporate America for a really long time. Yeah, you're you know, you're mostly seen like, as disposable. Yeah, exactly. So I I often tell people, and I remember there was a time when I was putting myself through college at, in Portland, Portland State University, 
And I was working at a um, oscilloscope company called Tektronics in Beaverton, Oregon. So what was amazing is they, uh, they supplied coffee, free coffee for everybody, which was really a smart move. But Howard Vollum, the CEO of the company, who was in his clearly in his 70s at that point, once a month, you'd see him in your workspace and he would be walking around. How are you doing? What can we do to make things better for you? And it was kind of that older mentality of owners of companies that clearly understood that they took care of the employees because the employees were the ones that were responsible for creating their dreams to come true financially and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where, where that left, but this is one of the gifts of, of the pandemic is it's requiring us all to take a look either before we go back to work. It's like, I do know there's been a movement of people, companies wanting people to go back to work. And a lot of people are going to take your job and shove it. Yep. That's they what I would just, say. They just, I have, you know, I, I see why you want me there, but don't really need to be there five days a week, mm-hmm. maybe two days a week, maybe one day, but not five days a week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's expensive driving time. I don't get to spend as much time with my family. And statistically, the research is showing that the people that are working remotely that can work remotely are actually getting more done in less time. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. I remember being in, um, you know, the corporate environment and, you know, having the office and all those things. You have people, you have distractions all the time. I mean, you go yeah. to get one thing done. It could take you three hours, but, you yeah. know, you're there by yourself. You, I, I always joke. I'm like, I feel like I could save a small village from famine in an hour because of like, you know, productive undistracted time. Right. So it's uh, it's a really interesting thing. And plus, you know, you have control over your your environment here. You know, you don't have to be under like for me, I can't go back into an office anymore. I, I physically cannot because of my autoimmune issues, because of the highly sensitive. I cannot be under fluorescent lights. I cannot be in front of, com- of a computer for eight hours. I just I physically cannot do it. It'll break my body down because of my sensitive nervous system. Um, but because I people like me occupy 20 percent of the population, chances are 20 percent of any business have employees that are highly sensitive that are like me. And that's contributing to a lot of like the stress and the burnout and we don't realize it. Um, But it's interesting. I want to actually comment on something that you mentioned because you mentioned about um, businesses talking about the dreams of their employees and and helping them get to them. Have you ever read the book, The Dream Manager? No. Oh, you need to. It's such a good book. Um, it's teeny tiny. It's um, I literally just read it about a week ago, and uh, it's it's like 150 pages. You could read it in a you know a couple hours if you wanted, um, or less than that if you're a really fast reader. But it's a fantastic book. Um, just to kind of give you the gist without giving the whole thing away, they had the same issues. It's a consulting company that actually created the book, but they. Um, they had all the same issues that a lot of businesses are having right now. Retention, culture, people are unhappy, people are leaving, they couldn't retain, you know, their employees. And so they started doing surveys. And instead of, you know, it being like the normal thing where they take the surveys and they don't do anything about them, they actually started implementing and acting on what the employees were telling them that needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. And then they got to a certain point where they're like, okay, we need to do more because we're still having the same turnover issues. And so what they realized was that these people were actually looking at their job um, as a dead end. There was no progression. There was no mean, you know, there was no end, you know, insight. There was no, no reason for them to stay for long-term. So what they realized is they're like, well, we need to hook their dreams 
to their job. They need it. There needs to be a relationship there where they can see that being here and working with us helps them achieve their dreams. So they hired, they did this dream manager program where they hired on a dream manager, which is basically like a life coach um, to meet with people who volunteered themselves once a month to go through their dreams. And, you know, it was really inspiring because some of these dreams were to learn English, to go on a vacation, to own a home, like some things that a lot of us take for granted is like just things we've done. Um, And so the company actually started helping them create a plan to be able to achieve their dream and contributing where they could. You know, one person in the book, they mentioned wanting a real Christmas. They were financially struggling. They couldn't have a real Christmas for their kids. So it was a it was a collective dream that they shared amongst the the people in the office and everybody contributed gifts to to this family. Um, And so it was just yeah, it was amazing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, could you imagine like if every company actually instituted something like that, how much of a community and how much even if you know, even if you didn't pay them a dime more, could you imagine just the sense of community and sense of belonging and sense of being seen and loved and like it, it seen I, and heard? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's that's more, especially right now, that's really where people's focus is at mm-hmm. is do does my employer actually care about me? Mm-hmm. And how do I and how I would know is if they if you knew they were listening and made it available to be listened to and to be seen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, inside a company, a uh, little community town hall kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do it. Imagine podcasting. I do a monthly meeting with the team. Not everybody can be there because some of them are in Europe and Ireland, but, you know, got it. We do it anyway. And it's just like, you know, it's like, just get it out. Last time we actually did a whole piece uh, working with Brene Brown's Braving the Seven Elements of Trust. Which is a really, really good piece for any company to actually um, kind of integrate into what they're doing. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's great. I'm not. I haven't heard of it. But you know what? I, I actually just um, I just finished this week. Have you ever read The Go Giver? Several times. It's wonderful. It's, I had never yeah. heard of it, and somebody happened to mention that. I was like, that sounds yep. fantastic. The Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce here in Southern California, I'm in real. Well, I'm really involved with them, two committees and chair one and co-chair the other. And and it's their it's kind of their book. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what they that's what they uh, kind of run the place by. It's a wonderful book. And then it is. It's really, really it's a very different perspective and it gives you a different um, a different view on how to walk through the world. Yeah. In business, which in translates into life. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So what else is going on? We got the corporate thing. Do you do you have individual clients as well outside of the corporate environment? Um, you know, I don't focus on individual clients. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I do. I focus on the corporates because I, you know, kind of like go giver. You know, serve more people, um, more impact. Yeah, more impact. Um, and because I know that there's a lot of people in those environments who are actually looking for something like this, but might not be able to afford it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's an additional cost, right? If somebody hires me as a coach, like, yes, it's going to be amazing work and it's going to be really, really great. But it's also you know, if you're already financially struggling, something that, you know, again, you have to, you have to pay out of your pocket. Whereas if it was an employee perk, something that the employee or the employer was just doing for their, for their team and for Mm -hmm. themselves, because I mean, you know, we always tend to think of our subordinates and our teams, but we forget that it includes ourselves, you know, as a C-suite, as the CEO and, you know, all these different things. So, yeah, I mean, I will work with people one-on-one, but my focus right now um, is actually working with one, maybe two 
very long-term clients, meaning like six months to a year or more to really dive into creating more change. I've done a lot of, you know, one-time workshops and different things that are low touch because that's what people have asked me for. Um, but it's not where I want to go. Um, I actually really want to help people who are really ready for some to do something different. And, you know, they have, they have the means and they have the desire and they have, you know, all these different resources that they're ready to be like, okay, let's do something like this. Um, Mm. I I want the people that are excited. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, um, can you give me a little, tell us a little story about a company? You don't have to mention any names or anything else, but where you worked with them and saw a shift. Oh yeah, actually. So this was a mm, probably earlier in the year, I was invited to come into an ERG group, so an employee resource group uh, of a, we'll just say a financial company. Um, and it was, it was all women. Mm-hmm. So it was a women's ERG, ERG group. And we talked a lot about um, taking time to do nothing because a lot of people assume that, you know, when they have their breaks, um, they, disengage from work and then they re-engage in, um, they engage in life. So they're running errands, they're making phone calls, they're catching up on social media, they're catching up on text. Well, then they disengage from life and re-engage in work. They're not actually giving themselves um, real time to be able to rest or just do nothing or just like let their brain settle. So we, we talked the majority of the, um, the majority of the, the training was actually about this, But we also talked a little bit more about, you know, how to sort of use your, um, you know, if you identify as a menstruating, I I know it's a little bit of a off the subject topic for for you, John, but if you, if you, if you identify as a menstruating woman, like how you can actually use the cycles and the phases of your menstrual cycle to your advantage, because our bodies are doing so much I'm aware of this. Yeah. And so being able to kind of look at something that is so natural to a woman's body, Um, who menstruates and who has, you know, these different phases and different things to be able to use it to their advantage because we don't learn this stuff. And I I literally, you know, I'm sitting here at 37, just having learned these things myself in the last few years. And I think, oh my gosh, like if I knew these things when I was like 15, 16, going through, you know, my twenties, it would be amazing. Yes. But then the conversation grew into, oh my gosh, well, these are all the things that we can teach our kids. Oh, and so we nice. start to we start to actually mm-hmm. change the fabric of how we raise the next generation because they're not learning these things on TikTok and Snapchat and yep. whatever else they're engaged yep. in. They you know, you you talk to any teenager kid, it, you're lucky if you get their eyes up from their phone. Um yep. and, and so they're not learning these things. And what I've noticed is that, you know, with us here in the US, we get every generation gets more diluted, um, where we lose we lose roots, right? We all came from somewhere, and we we lose our connection to our lineage. And you know, one of the things that I learned from my shaman. So I'm very much into plant medicine. I always, I really always have been the last, you know, especially the last like ten years or so. Um, so yes, like plant medicine, um, adaptogens herbs, all the things like teeth. I gobble it up. It's fascinating to me. I think there's an amazing uh, abundance of resources and different things to help our help support our bodies through the healing process, healing through life and just different things. I think it's beautiful. When, when I was with my shaman, he mentioned, he's like, you know, usually if you are drawn to something like that, it means somebody in your lineage was, you know, somebody was like a folk medicine healer or something like that. And I thought it was fascinating, but it got me thinking that, you know, most people aren't very connected to where they came from. And so I'm sitting here with 
you know, Italian and Polish and Greek and all these things, but mostly Italian. And I got to thinking and starting to ask my, ask my aunts, um, you know, about our grandparents and like where we came from and they weren't really sure. And so long story short, ancestry.com was, you know, amazing. My friend, my aunt had a friend who, you know, does this on the side, who was really great. So she filled out like our entire family tree. It was great. Um, but what I learned was that I have ancestors who lived in Italy on the side of a mountain, this teeny tiny little town where there was, you know, all they did was folk medicine. And it was really, really fascinating. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we can actually connect to our ancestors through what it is that's kind of coming out in us now, what our, what our, um, what we're interested in. And so um, I'm sitting here babbling and talking about all these things. And I don't remember what your original question was. It makes no difference. <laughs> let me, let me assume. So I have the gift of ADD. So it's like, I, you know, I can like go down, the, go down the, da, 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 and I'll take a sharp left. Uh-huh. And most most people can't follow me, actually. But you kind of just did that. And we are where we are right now. It makes no difference. We're not going backwards. But so let me just say, of course, you must go. To Italy? Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. So at some point. It's completely. So one of the things the dream manager, when I, when I uh, read that book, what it inspired in me was to actually create my own dream book. And so one of the exercises in there was to create a list of a hundred dreams. And so I think I'm at like 60 and I would say a solid 50 of them are travel related, but one of them is to actually take quite a chunk of time and just travel around Italy just to, I I've always been fascinated with Italian culture. Um, yeah. And it's, I, I never, like, I understood I was Italian and I understood it was in my blood, but I just, I, I always felt a deep um, connection with the roots. And I really always mm-hmm. wanted to learn more. I always tried to learn Italian and I always failed. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I just need to go and I need to, I need to spend a few months there and learn the language. Yeah, exactly. Do a little eat, pray, love, and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was a time in my life actually where I became aware that there was a poetic part of myself mm-hmm. and right around the corner, I discovered in my ancestry, not through ancestry.com, but just through talking with some relatives that there was a, uh, there was a post uh, postman or postal worker back East in the 1800s that, uh, you know, was a distant relative. Anyway, he, he was a poet and very, very well known and stuff. And so when I heard that it was great and there's a part of me that is Polish as well. Okay. So before I kind of like even knew that, I mean, you know, that information was available to me at a young age, but I studied music mm-hmm. in my tw- early 20s and stuff. And I was fascinated by Arthur Rubinstein, the pianist. And he was like 100% Polish. And I, I you know, and I was studying classical guitar and, and uh, reading his bio. And, his, and then I discovered, found out I was Polish and it made total sense. Or at least a quarter of me is Polish, actually. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah. So it's like, once again, the gifts of gifts of pandemic, it's like slow down and just start getting to know yourself better. I mean, these are all, these are all extraordinary times, you know? Yeah. So what, one thing that I want to give you um, episode 29 on what has my attention uh, was done with um, Dr. Um, Gretchen Melzer. Now, she's a trauma expert, uh, has been on CNN Anderson Cooper twice. So I was like really blessed, grateful and honored to have her on that particular episode because I learned a lot. And I really recommend everybody, including yourself, go listen to it, especially you and the work that you do. Because the biggest thing I walked away with that I'm practicing 
I'm encouraging people to do the same. It's like, say, John, how are you doing? Well, imagine podcasting is doing really well in the middle of a pandemic. So how are you feeling today? I'm doing, I'm feeling really good in the middle of a pandemic. Misty, you know, what do you, you know, it's like, how are things going with you and your dog? You would answer what? We take each day as it comes. In the middle of a pandemic. And if you say that, and we said that, it would kind of level the field for where we're at in life during this time. Mm. Because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And we're, and but we're alive. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a good one. Go listen. No, to I it. can't wait to go listen to it. I will I absolutely will. All right. So let's wrap this up. How do you want to end it in terms of, do you want people to go to their, to get in touch with you through the website? And what what would be the normal onboarding process for you in terms of if you wanted to work with another company, let's assume that some company has actually heard this episode and actually wants to get in touch with you. Just go to your website. Go to my website or, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I mean, the, the initial piece of it is just having a conversation because just because you listen to this and you like what you heard doesn't mean what I do is, is for you. Or, you know, I have a lot of different offerings. Everything I do is custom. Nothing I do is cookie cutter. Um, so it's basically just a conversation about where you are, what you're doing, what you're looking for. And if you feel like I'm your person and if I feel like I could make a real difference with your company. Um, so, yeah, having having that conversation is, you know, foundational. So it's it, yeah, going to the going to the website or also connecting with me on LinkedIn either way. Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm, I like LinkedIn a lot. I spend very little time at Facebook. I have somebody doing Instagram, but that's it. Yeah, I try yeah. to avoid Instagram if I can. <laughs> Misty, thanks for being here. It was really great. And I'm glad I met you and Mary Kravitz little thing going on there. Hopefully I'll see you back there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It was fun getting to play and go off on all the, you know, squirrel tangents that I go on. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're full of a lot of beautiful energy and I, it's just really great. I think any company, corporation that really wanted to level up and really just come into the 21st century the proper way should would be honored to have you involved. I think that's uh-huh. great. I appreciate that. I don't take I don't take that lightly. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. See you all soon. You can catch this podcast literally anywhere you get audio. So it's a podcast app. It could be Amazon. It could be Audible. Could be Spotify. Just kind of anywhere. So until next time, we'll see you later.